stories in your language by visiting sbs.com.au. Welcome to Noir Hear This, one of the first podcast series dedicated to Nordic Noir, this popular crime fiction genre. In each episode, we will travel to a Scandinavian country to meet the people behind the famous TV shows and converse with some of the genre's most prolific writers. My name is Johan Gabrielsson. But first, what is the definition of Nordic Noir? It has been defined as the language is simple, it excuse metaphor, the settings have bleak landscapes, the mood is dark and morally complex, the genre depicts a tension between the apparently still and bland social surface in Scandinavia and the murder, misogyny, rape and racism it depicts as lying underneath. In today's program, we begin in Sweden with the Swedish writers Sjöval Wahlö, the couple who many believed invented Nordic Noir. We meet Christopher Karlsson, writer and criminologist. Christopher will explain why Sjöval Wahlö had such an immense impact on crime writing, not only in Scandinavia, but also around the world. And we get to meet one of Sweden's most successful crime writer, James Lapidus, on how Sjöval Wahlö inspired his writings about the gang wars and drug trades in Stockholm. And finally, we meet Beverly Allen, who gives lectures on Nordic Noir at Stanford University in California. But we begin with Sjöval Wahlö. Their first book, Rosanna, introduced the world to the detective Martin Beck. Rosanna was first published in 1965. In this book, Sjöval Wahlö presented a new kind of crime writing not seen before. It reflected a Sweden far from an idyllic IKEA catalogue. Martin Beck's world was filled with corruption and violence and revealed the underbelly of a failed welfare state. The main character, Martin Beck, was also very far away from the glamorous detectives seen in many North American cop shows of the time. Here is a taste of Martin Beck in an excerpt from Sjöval book The Abdominal Man, first published in 1971. In his mind's eyes, Martin Beck suddenly saw a picture of Nyman's mutilated body. He thought about what Kohlberg had told him, about how Nyman had taught him to kill. Martin Beck had never killed another human being. He tried to imagine what it would feel like. Not shooting someone, he didn't think that would be hard. Maybe because the force it takes to pull the trigger was out of all propositions to the force of the bullets that does the killing. 
Killing with a firearm didn't require any great physical effort, and the distance to the victim ought to make the act feel less immediate. But killing someone directly, with your hands, with a piece of rope, or a knife, or a bayonet, that was another matter. He thought of the body on the marble floor of the hospital, the gapping wound in the throat, the blood, the entrails welling out of the belly, and he knew he would never be able to kill that way. Christopher Carlson is the youngest person in Sweden ever named the country's crime writer of the year. He has a PhD in criminology and is an expert on the writings of Sjöval Wale. Oh, you cannot underestimate their influence. I mean, you have to understand, you have to understand that before Sjöval Wale, uh, there was nothing in terms of a modern police procedural novel. There were guys like Stig Trenter and Maria Lang who wrote uh, cozy detective stories. So when my Sjöval and Per Wale, when they, when they introduced Beck, Kolberg and the rest in Rosanna, it's like a, it's like a genesis moment. Mm. Something is being created, a new, something entirely new. Uh, is, is, is created. And everything we think about today, when we think about Nordic Noir, when we think about uh, the social issues that we tend to to touch on, when we think about the police as a collective force, when we think about the different characters with their different characteristics and their relations between each other, when we think about the way we tend to follow the perpetrator in certain chapters in the book. We see his or her point of view of the world. We understand his or her perspective. Hmm. All of that comes from Sjöval Wale at the very beginning. They were first. And they, of course, were influenced by people like Ed McBain. When you look at their libraries, much of their influences are Anglo-Saxon in nature. Hmm. So they were very well read. They were, were very well read in sociology and, and the sociology of policing and so on. But when it came to, to Swedish fiction, uh, they, they did something entirely new. The Sweden they write about, does Sweden as a society take a place in their, in their books, do you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In the Martin Beck series, you have... First of all, what they do in a, in a fantastic way is that they turn the city, almost the, the city of Stockholm and the country of Sweden, almost, it's almost turned into a character itself. It is described in the way you would normally describe a character hmm. as its own breathing kind of entity. The whole idea behind the Martin Beck series, as I understand it now from what I've read about it, and from having read the books, of course, is that their task was to write a series of 10 books about contemporary Sweden, the Sweden that they saw, uh, the problems it had, the potential it had, the promising aspects of, of Swedish society, but predominantly the more harrowing uh, aspects of Swedish society, and to tell that story using the lens of the detective, the, the contemporary police officer. Uh, so yes, social criticism that we have come accustomed to when we when we look at Nordic Noir, you know, this has been done by people like Henning Mankel and Lisa Markson and Stig Larsson, of course, and so on. That begins with Kerval Wahle. They did it more explicitly than most of us do, especially as you as you come toward the last of the series, the, the abominable man, the police killer, cop killer, and uh, the terrorist. Uh, there you have quite lengthy excursions on the terrible state of Swedish society. <laughs> and um, 
when we write today, uh, people like me and Jens Lapidus and uh, Camilla Lefe and other people, when we deal with troubling issues, we tend to do it less explicitly. We tend to sort of show it rather than to tell it. Sjöval-Valet did both. They showed and they told because they thought that, you know, that the, the social crit- critique is actually the, the most important part of the book. What is that critique? What was it about Swedish society that they were writing about? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so you have to remember, they published uh, these series of books between 1965 and 1975. Mm. Sweden at that time is undergoing major social, economic and political changes. So it is, it is a country that has been modernized. That, that, but I, by that, I mean that it has gone through the process of modernity. But it is, it is still in a quite early phase. So you have, for example, you have the idea of the people's home, mm. Swedish idea called Folkhemmet. Uh, that is the, the million prog- program, which was a very famous program in Sweden where the task was to create a million new households. The housing situation in Sweden was terrible. They see uh, a drug problem emerging in Sweden. You know, the Swedish drug problem is, is only about 60 years old. It enters Sweden in the beginning of the 60s. Before that, there is really no Swedish drug problem. The Swedish drug policy is introduced at that time. The, the Swedish police uh, becomes a matter of the state. Hmm. Previously, the Swedish police had been tied to the municipalities, but now you get a state police, one uh, police agency. So all of these things are happening. You mentioned that they wrote books over quite a long period. What would you say happen in the writing of their books because i'm sure you could discern like like a change in the way they wrote a book so are they really the kind of same and have the same kind of quality in your view christopher oh that's a great question no you can absolutely discern distinct differences as the series progresses first of all the books tend to become longer the first four or five books, each and every one of them, I would say, it's almost under 200 pages. The first half of the series, they're quick, intense, very deftly written, very coolly written crime stories over 180, 190 pages. Then the, the books turn longer. One reason for this, I think, is that Per Wahle, who did much of the editing, uh, he got ill toward the end of the series. I mean, he died right as the final book was about to come out. So, so that's one reason for, I think, the books uh, becoming longer. He didn't have the, the stamina, the power to, to work on them as much. Another thing which you can see as you read the series is that in the first two, three books, there isn't really much explicit social political critique. If there is, it's more shown than told. Mm. And I've heard, I don't know if this is true, but I, could, I sort of hope that it's true because it's sneaky in a way that I sort of like. Even though I don't agree with much of their politics, they say that, you know, we, we, we need to lure the reader in. And gradually, as we move through the series, the political implications of the books, the critique against the police, against the state, against the, the contemporary Swedish society, against capitalism, that will become a more integral part of the book, a more explicit part of the book. We are going to hear more from Christopher Carlson in another episode of Noir Hear This. And the way Sjöval has inspired Christopher Carlson's own award-winning crime novels. Many critics have praised Sjöval insight into police procedures. 
Swedish writer Jens Lapidus caused a sensation in Sweden with his books Easy Money, Never Screw Up and Life Deluxe. His novels tell tales of gang wars going on underneath the surface of apparently peaceful Stockholm. Jens' many years working as a defense lawyer inspired him to write his first book, Easy Money. It was the first book in his so-called Stockholm Noir trilogy. The books have since become highly praised films. Well, I think um, all of my books deal to a certain extent with the underworld of Stockholm. And uh, many people, certainly foreign journalists, have quite a romantic view of Swedish society. Having said that, I still think Sweden is, comparatively speaking, a very safe and secure society. But we do have organized crime, just as any other large European or city in the world. Mm. So there is a lot of drug dealing and prostitution and gang violence and, and the stuff like that going on. So most of the stuff in my books reflects either real cases that I've come across as a defense lawyer or things that could happen. When you wrote those books, is that how you felt about crime fiction in Sweden, as you were implying, that there was this kind of more romantic uh, writing about Sweden, but it didn't show the reality that you had come across? Yeah, I think uh, that's, that's true. I, I worked in the court and I came across a part of Stockholm, a part of Sweden that never ever had been reflected in crime fiction in Sweden. Usually there's a very set format for Scandinavian crime fiction. There's a murder, there's an investigator coming in, a policeman or woman or a prosecutor or someone else investigating the murder. And then at the end of the book, you will have the solution. Now, I write, in most of my books, I write about, so to speak, the real crimes of Sweden. Uh, sometimes murder, but also bank robberies, drug dealings, frauds, um, all kind of uh, crimes like that. So when I set out to write my first book, I took all the vital founding aspects of a Scandinavian crime thriller, yeah. that is murder, investigation, solution. And also you add to that a parallel historical storyline, plotline, and I turned it 180 degrees upside down and did exactly the opposite. So I will not have a policeman investigating a murder in my books. I will have the criminals themselves as main characters. And I will not have historical plot lines. All my books are very contemporary. How did you come up with this idea, though? Well, it was not something I planned. It was just uh, I, I was working in the court and I felt that the door was open up and that I could peek into a part of Sweden that not many people have a chance to see. Mm. And... So I just started to write in the evenings, and I didn't even plan to write a novel. You're saying that your writing became something you did when you were finished with the court cases, when you came home. Was it kind of therapy? Yes, I think it was. It was, for me, letting out some steam. Uh, you, get, you come across pretty horrific uh, stories and horrific people that, that went through pretty horrific things, traumatic tragic, uh, and I dealt with that by writing. 
I'm fascinated by language. The language of a lawyer, it's a special language. Does that language spills over into the books, do you think? Well, I think it does. First of all, in many of my novels, I interject, I, I have judicial doc, legal documents. So sometimes you will follow the chapters of the characters and then you will see the sentence written in court language. Mm. I have those kind of documents set in uh, the text in the book. So that's one part of it. Another part of it is that I write very short cut style. I write short sentences, which in a way mimics legal way of writing. Because legal way of writing, you want to get rid of all redundant. Mm. You never ever in legal writing want to write too much. So in a way, it, it, it does reflect the way of writing, but, but not because... It's still literary language. But the slang and the, the language of the street, I get from a lot of inspiration to that language. I get from my job as a lawyer because there's a lot of wiretapping going on in Sweden. So if you have, for example, a big drug case, as a lawyer, you will be listening to a lot of the police wiretapping of the criminal gangs mm. when they speak and the police listen secretly. When you hear that, I pick up on a lot of phrases and words and slang words and so forth. Acclaimed Swedish author James Lapidus. In today's academia, Nordic Noir, Scandinavian crime fiction can be studied at some of the world's most prestigious universities. In front of me, I have the reading list for the Nordic Noir course at Oxford University, with books entitled Death in a Cold Climate, The Making of Nordic Noir, Transnational Cinema in the Global North. Nordic Noir can also be studied at Ivy League colleges, as Harvard University and Stanford University, where the professor behind the course is Professor Beverly Allen. The purpose of the course is to share the understanding I have about this genre that people call Nordic Noir so that we can see not only uh, how much fun it all is, but why we like it. So I think it's a big deal. What is it that you want your students to take away from this course? I want them to take away an understanding of why they like this stuff so much and also how it opens up a huge context of uh, historical and social and political understanding, not only of the North, but also of the world they live in. Because a big question presents itself, which is, why aren't such stories written here or in Australia, to my knowledge? Mm. It's different, you see. You know, murder mysteries didn't exist before the age of reason, the enlightenment. They couldn't have because murder mysteries generally depend on the capacity of the detective to reason out how this murder happened. And the apex of that is Sherlock Holmes, who is nothing if not reason. Mm. What you find in Scandinavia, however, are detectives who are often imperfect, as is Sherlock. I mean, he has his drug addiction. But These detectives are imperfect, but they also use their intuition at times. 
And I think that's very important. It shows that they're using both sort of the male brain and the female brain to use cliches, you know? Mm. And so they are immensely attractive as people. You were talking about this is very different from, for instance, literature or crime fiction in, in America or in the United States. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What, what is the difference, Beverly? Well, the difference, I think, is we don't have the extremes that the North has, the, you know, Scandinavia and the Nordic countries. Even if we have fabulous extreme landscapes from vast mountains to deserts to huge forests, it's in Minnesota, for example, we don't have the endless night of the Scandinavian winter, and we don't have the midnight sun. And there's something incredibly alluring about those things. There's something very exotic for English speakers, I think, and uh, that may include Australians. Those darknesses, the northern lights, the midsummer light when the birds never quit singing, mm. you know, that offers such a, a mystery. It's a, it's a fabulous invitation to consider the mystery of life, even, or the mystery of death. And then how fabulously also satisfying to see death get explained somehow. Can you say something about the women being uh, represented in this genre? Is there something specific about how women are portrayed, do you think? Well, yes, there's a history of that in the genre. They don't get much space in the early Beck series. Henning Mankell does a lot better in his Valander series. Mm. Of course, Stieg Larsson uh, and also Peter Haig with Smilla do more. I think one of the most important things about uh, Stieg Larsson's Millennium Trilogy is the way it pokes us, sort of, to think about how the women are portrayed. I think that Lisbeth Salander is probably the most interesting literary character of the decade. And, you know, part of why she shocks us is that he has taken traits normally associated with a male protagonist mm. and given them to her. So she takes violent revenge on her tormentor. And a lot of people uh, cheer when that happens. Unfortunately, one may not think that that's the way that women could best go by imitating a male pattern. There may be sort of more sort of lost feminine possibility of not carrying carrying on like that, that could offer a new paradigm for everyone. Mm -hmm. So the feminist scholarly take on that character is both, yay, oh good, you know, this will show them, but also, wait a minute, that's not how we want them to be. Why, why should we want to be that way ourselves? Why not find another pattern? Mm -hmm. However, in that same series, there are several things that are welcome. Number one, pregnant characters function as normal human beings and their pregnancies do not become the urgent emergency birth scenes that drive the plot. At the same time, when you look at lots and lots of these series, you start to see that some traits get copied from the really good ones. <laughs> like what? So we have often, well, for example, the detective, the female detective who has something wrong with her. You know, she has Asperger's or she's antisocial, but the protagonist, you know, the protagonist, the detective has generally in Scandinavian crime fiction had something 
wrong with him, which humanizes him. So that I would say there have been many wonderful new ways of looking at women because of the female characters in these stories. But sometimes they are cliches. But going back to um, Elizabeth Salander, at the very least, she makes people think about gender relations and gender stereotypes. And I think that's a, a huge plus. We heard Professor Beverly Allen. Thanks for listening to our Noir Hear This podcast series. The reading from Cheval Valer's book The Abdominal Man was made by Kruno Martinak. Production is by me, Johan Garbelsson, and technical production by Vlad Ladgman. In our next episode, we travel to Denmark, home to some of the most popular Nordic Noir TV shows, We examine what lies behind the success of shows like The Bridge and The Killing. We also meet the queen of Danish crime writing, Sarah Bladel. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends. Subscribe via your favorite podcast app and review us on iTunes. It helps others find us. Goodbye. SBS On Demand is the home of Nordic Noir Down Under. From genre-defining titles like The Bridge to the newest wave of Scandi thrillers, get ready to binge with over 20 of the genre's best titles, including Trapped, Midnight Sun, Dicta, Modus, Below the Surface, and more. Buried secrets, buried bodies. Unearth all the best Nordic Noir on SBS On Demand now.